0: Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's jump right in. Later on in the show, we'll meet filmmaker April Mullen. Her new film, Simulant, stars Sam Worthington, you know him from Avatar, Jordana Brewster of the Fast and Furious franchise, and Marvel superhero Simu Liu in a sci-fi thriller that will explore the dangers of artificial intelligence in a world where sentient robots roam free. We'll talk about AI, that's artificial intelligence, in our everyday lives, and much, much more But that's later on. First though, if you're a fan of musical theatre, and even if you're not, you know about the show Hamilton. The story of American founding father Alexander Hamilton shatters the glass ceiling of racism and bigotry with a largely diverse cast, and it's not an exaggeration to say that this show has changed the face of Broadway and musical theatre. The sung and rapped musical, with music, lyrics and a book by Lynn manuel Miranda, is a sensation that is described as being about America then, as told by America Now. Eight years after its debut on Broadway, it still sells out eight shows a week, and touring companies have brought the show to the entire world to great success. One of those shows happens to be in Toronto, so if you find yourself in the city in the next few months, you'll want to check out Hamilton on stage at the Princess of Wales Theatre. For more information on that show, check out mervish.com. Today I'll speak with DeAndre Woods who stars as Alexander Hamilton in that production. We'll talk about what he thinks sets Hamilton apart from other musicals, the excitement of performing the show with its creator Lin Manuel Miranda in Puerto Rico, and how a hole in a very inappropriate place in his costume helped calm his nerves on opening night. DeAndre Woods, join me via Zoom.
1: Shot, I, not away my, not
0: away shot. I read that you auditioned to be a cast member of Hamilton nine times before you finally got the call that you got the gig. Mm-hmm. What was it about the show? And what was it that just kept you going back? I mean, nine times is a lot of auditions. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I believe it was sort of like a mixture of things,
1: right? Like, uh, I I remember listening to the soundtrack for the first time my junior year of college. Uh, This was 2015, 16 or something like that. And immediately sort of fell in love with just, I I hated history in school. So the idea that they were rapping (laughs) about history, that just kind of turned me on right away. I was like, oh, I can learn from this. Um, And then the first role that I was sort of like attached to was Aaron Burr. Uh, I'm from the I, I grew up in the church uh as a kid so his story sort of uh sort of like that young church boy uh being raised in this world that kind of went against religion in that way um that kind of attracted me and the songs obviously were so well written uh so that was like my first uh like entrance and and sort of like uh coming to of, of realizing that, Oh, like this is different than most musical theater I've known up until then. Cause I wasn't a big musical theater fan before college, really. I just kind of like, I love singing and I played sports. So sports were kind of my way into performing. Um, and then, uh, just a sequence of events kind of happened after that. I had a voice teacher at LSU who was connected with an agent in New York who got me, uh, my first audition for Aladdin and Lion King. Uh, and was there that I was like, oh, like I can like immerse all of these things together, like the performance mode, uh, singing and then acting was sort of like a thing that I love watching Denzel Washington, all these people on, on movies and I was always moved by these actors. Um, but it was sort of just kind of like just testing my luck, man, uh, you know, like just kind of putting myself out there and hoping for the best. And uh, it was after I did Motown the Musical, which was my first professional gig that I was introduced to uh, Hamilton, and I had two or three auditions at first, went away, did Motown for 10 months, didn't hear anything from Hamilton, um, and then came back from the tour and got my fourth audition. And from there on, between May and September of 2018, I I did another five auditions and finally got the call that I had booked it. But it was a journey, man. Like, it was just one of those (laughs) things that I thought I wouldn't get for years. Because I heard about people who had auditioned, several times and I knew I knew these I'm like these people are amazing. Like, you know, I was nowhere near these guys. So I was like, it might take me 10 years. You know, I might be 30 something before I finally get into this thing. But I think it was just uh the timing and uh just kind of being ready and open to new possibilities that kind of led me into to what I'm doing now. So it's been it's been definitely one of those things I've just kind of been like holding on to the like the jet ski almost like just yeah, kind of yeah. like letting the waves take me away and, and hoping that I end up in a good spot. And I think I I think I am so far.
0: Well, it's hard to really describe how huge Hamilton is. Mm -hmm. It saved Broadway Mm -hmm. when it opened mm -hmm. on Broadway. If you got people going back in years, it got an audience that hadn't typically gone to Broadway, going to Broadway, a younger audience, a more diverse audience. Um, Whenever I'm in New York now, you walk down, I think it's playing, is it 44th Street? I can't remember. 44th or 35th. You go down there. And there's the theater, and across the street, there's a store that sells nothing but Hamilton stuff, and it's busy. <laughs> there's it a is. lineup out the door. But it's yeah. hard to imagine, to describe to someone who, who doesn't get it, how huge this is. So it Absolutely. must have blown your mind to oh my gosh. get cast in this. I mean, the thing is, so
1: everyone would love to be in Hamilton, right? I think the beautiful thing about this company was that because there's still a lot of us from the original cast. Uh, some people have gone on this, a, kind of a mixture of a, a company now. Uh, but the first time I remember I was in an audition, well, not an audition, I was in a rehearsal doing a cruise gig, rehearsing for a gig we had coming up. And I got, that's when I got the call. Mm-hmm. And I remember my agent saying, are you Are you by yourself? Are you like somewhere where you can scream, essentially? <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm actually just rehearsing. And I just had to tell my director, I'm gonna step off for a second. And she told me the news and I was ecstatic.
0: You're listening to DeAndre Woods on The Richard Krause Show. Get more information on Hamilton at the Princess of Wales Theatre at Mervish.com. She was still pretty calm though, because she was like, well, do you know like what cast this is? And I thought, I have no idea. And she said,
1: well, you're going to Puerto Rico. I was like, what? And she was like, and Lin-Manuel Miranda is going to be playing Hamilton. And so you're going to get to do the show with him. And I was like, I I mean, it was one, yeah. like I said, it's one thing just to be in Hamilton, but then to find out that you're going to be doing it with a guy who really created it. And uh, and also we were going to San Francisco for a sit down after that. So it was just all these things that were stacked on top of uh, just the idea of getting the job. So like you say, in that way, it was pretty big on a smaller scale for myself. It had already been introduced to the world and was really taken off. I think they had three companies by then already. So uh, just pretty lucky to be in that number. And and like I said, Lynn is is responsible for all of us being here, but so much more that I'm sure he didn't know was going to happen, you know, at the beginning of this thing and how it's touching the world.
0: Oh, I don't think you could possibly imagine, you know, when something blows up like this, I, I just don't, you don't sit down and go, you start writing something and go, you know what, <laughs> this <laughs> right. is going to change things. <laughs> it, right. it, it happens or it doesn't. And I think, as you said, you just try and hang on to the jet ski. Einstein yeah.
1: would say, you know, like, I guess this is in that way. Definitely. Uh, succeeding all things before it but also like you said like creating so many opportunities for people who may have given up on this dream or yeah. uh i just never saw themselves in in a light like this and that's what i love about this show
0: Lynn manuel miranda i uh, whenever i see him on television being interviewed i think he seems like just a cool kind of like a theater nerd you know and and it really yet- is. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's the most genuine person you ever meet he yeah. walks into the room and everyone's starstruck right like we're like yeah. We put him on this pedestal and he's like here with us you know like i remember doing the show i got to do one show with him in puerto rico and uh it's my favorite story to tell because i was so so nervous because i had of we, i was a standby at the time so i think we did about 29 shows i think there and the company allowed for the standbys and the swings because people on stage were not going to miss a show and they were sick they were showing up they probably would sound like you know, a frog or something yeah, yeah. was in their throat, but they were going to make sure they were there to get this, uh, that moment. And I just remember thinking like, I don't want to mess up and I, but I also want to be in the moment. I messed up lyrics and the craziest thing right before the show happened, I looked down and places are called and my, my crotch is ripped. I have like a hole in my crotch. <laughs> and it was the perfect thing that could have happened because it just literally just took all the nerves away. Cause we were dying laughing. The, the stitches are they're back there stitching it. The pants are still on me. And I'm like, I can't believe this is is my debut, but uh, it made for a great story and definitely for like a nice little like moment of peace before the, a a little calm before the storm.
0: Do you think that uh, your background playing sports uh, has brought itself forward into your career as a performer? And I'm thinking the discipline that must go along with it the show is very physical uh you do it eight times a week i as i've said earlier i was exhausted just watching you do it the discipline from sports must play a a certain part uh in your success as a performer
1: absolutely man i mean you know like it's i guess it's kind of like writing something like you don't know Mm -hmm. the things that you're in uh at the moment how they're going to benefit you later on and sports for me was uh, sort of my way into performing. I actually just uh, published my new website. And that's one of the things I talked about in my bio was that like, it just, it it brought me to the understanding and realization of how powerful performance was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's very different in the theater, right? Because we're not like, We're not shooting buckets, so it's not very different every night in the sense that the the trajectory that we're taking on the stage, the path we're we're following is very much the same. But as far as the upkeep and maintaining the voice, uh, getting enough rest and exercising and drinking water and just practicing and knowing that repetition and like, I'm glad we get to do this thing eight times a week because there's so much stuff there. Like if we only got to do this a month, I I can't imagine like how it's it would still be. But now that we've been able to do this for so long, uh, and like I said, just in and day in and day out, get to go to the grind and like work on our craft, uh, I view it as a sport. Actually, it kind of helps me in that way to think about it like that because that's kind of like that's my 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 dictionary in that way, uh, just kind of pulling from things to to use and different ways to tell the story tonight, or uh, being exhausted and knowing how to trust the technique in a certain moment and not rely on just talent. Uh, right.
0: To serve me. When I saw it, I thought that uh, I was watching a show that is so incredibly technical. I cannot imagine getting lost in one of those songs, blowing a <laughs> line in one of those songs, mm-hmm. and then trying to have to figure out where you are and come back, right? Mm-hmm. That that is beyond me because the wordplay is so intricate and a lot of it is so fast. And I just mm-hmm. thought, wow, how you know, how do you how do you do that? Plus all the physical stuff. But mm-hmm. one thing that I, I, I really took away from the performance that I saw was um how it looked almost effortless. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's not and I know that a great deal of work goes into making it look effortless. But mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was watching you sweat so much. Mm-hmm. I, I it, it felt natural to me. And man, I was like, I I I I don't know how you do that. That's the gift right <laughs> there, I think. Truly. Yeah. I think
1: it's because we I mean you see three hours, right? Like yeah. but we're actually rehearsing for eight hours that week on top of the eight shows we're doing. Like a lot of the process happens off stage. And uh even though we we don't go to work until 6 30 at night, everything leading up to that show is in preparation to do yeah. that show. So by the time you see us, we're kind of like in in the flow and in the zone. But uh, it's actually funny. This last week, we actually had Andy Blankenbuehler, who's the choreographer of the show, come in and sort of reinforce that effort because we have over time learned how to do the show in a healthy way. Yeah. Uh, and all the time, it's not about how easy it is, but sometimes it is like our best shows are the most exhausting shows. Like those shows when we're, done seven shows and it's that Sunday night performance maybe and this audience is coming with the idea that they're going to get a fresh show and we're like man we don't <laughs> even know how we're going to make it from the downbeat but somehow I imagine that these people in real time this is how they felt they were exhausted mentally yeah. emotionally physically so it sort of helps us tell the story uh because we're not putting on or performing we're really like retired in that way so that's kind of fun but uh but yeah it's definitely a beast man it's a great challenge but also very very rewarding once you do get through it so that's really nice
0: so you've been doing this for a while played different parts in the show i mean it it is such it is one of those shows that really touches people and it's Mm -hmm. one of those shows that we're going to be watching from years for years to come do you want to be doing this when you're 50 (laughs) <laughs> like it, 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 if if you're if you're lucky enough to be able to, you know, have the opportunity, to study, it, or or is it something yeah. like, you know, here we go, I've I've got it, you know, I've, I'm I'm great at this. But yeah. w- would you be one of those actors that would just love to just make that role redefine it and make it your own in that way?
1: Absolutely, I don't think I'll play Hamilton at fifty, but I don't see why not George Washington. You know, like right. some. Someone of that stature, uh, I've always joked about like because I was a standby before this, so I got to play Hamilton, Burr, Lawrence Phillip, and Mulligan Madison. Wow. And the the most fun thing was like not knowing what was gonna happen that day. Like I wake up every day not knowing who I was gonna be playing. And that's that's nerve-wracking. Or even like like recently on Saturday, we had a guy who played Hamilton in the matinee and played Aaron Burr at the night show. And so this idea of seeing the show from different perspectives and also being challenged in that way, because the audience has no clue. Yeah. They they don't care that you just played Hamilton. They want to see you kill it as Burr, right? Uh, but yeah, I've joked about like coming back and play Burr when I'm like 35. I've had two kids or three kids. <laughs> just to give me some more experience, because I'm a young guy, you know, Hamilton lived, he was a pretty a short-lived life, like up until 51. So he didn't live much life, but a lot of his experience... I don't, I I don't share like, you know, in that way. And so like, it's always fun to like dive into these roles. And I imagine at 50, the experience that I'm going to gain will definitely like, uh, help me in that way to tell a new and brand new story from a a very fresh and like more wise perspective. So we'll see, we'll see if they still accept me. If I still got it, maybe I'm, they're going to wear me out after this run and then I won't be able to play anything, you know? That's right. (laughs) <laughs> I won't be able to play anything until I'm 50. Maybe I'll take a break until I'm 50 and come back and play it.
0: Yeah, just rest. Rest until right. you're 50. <laughs> and, uh, you're listening to DeAndre Woods on The Richard Krause Show. For more information on Hamilton, now playing at the Princess of Wales Theater, check out mervish.com. You're from Louisiana. What yeah. part of Louisiana are you from?
1: Uh, it's a little town called Shreveport, Louisiana. So there's Shreveport, which is right. four hours from me, but there's Shreveport which is in between Homa and Thibodeau, which is usually how I explain it, and then if yeah. people don't know Homa and Thibodeau, I go to New Orleans because it's right. forty-five minutes south of New Orleans. Yeah. Most people know New Orleans, but uh, yeah. Shreve is uh, is the exact town.
0: I have this idea about uh, Louisiana. I've I've been to New Orleans many times. I have uh, traveled around, and I just had this idea that everywhere you go, there's music. And I don't know if it's just because <laughs> I'm a tourist, and I you know I was. It, it, but in in New Orleans, certainly there's music everywhere, and the okay. small towns there's always a roadhouse with like a fourteen piece Zydeco band playing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, You go see Buzu Chave or something, and you know. (laughs) uh, So, when you were growing up, you you know you were into sports, but was music a big part of your life, or because you grow up, you're you're immersed in it, right? Right. Oh yeah, all the time, especially
1: in the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's. I think it even started before the church. My mom sends me videos, which is so fun. Like now. Uh, it's sort of like a a journal. Like we used she used to have the camcorder. She record everything, right? Before we had iPhones. Yeah. Um, and she shows me these videos, and I'm like in front of the TV because they always had the TV playing. Like music videos are always on constant. And uh, I think it was just like sort of seeing my family enjoy music. And then like I would stand next to the TV before I could even talk, and I'd be dancing. And <laughs> then like eventually she bought me a karaoke machine. I was beating on pots and pans because I was a drummer first. That's yeah. how I kind of started out was as a drummer. And then it wasn't until my junior year that I quit band and joined the choir. And then that led me to performing for like, like local, uh, local events and like uh, shows. And then it kind of opened me up to like, Oh, maybe like I can do this like as a career. Cause it was just all fun and games. It was like more so church was like, my grandma and my mom were like, you're going to sing in the choir. It wasn't a choice. Right. It was like, I never got to enjoy church from the the pew like I was always in the choir stand and I'm so thankful for it now I did yeah. not understand it at the moment but at, at
0: the time it probably wasn't great but Oh my
1: goodness man <laughs> like it really trained me for what I do now cuz I say you know in church like there is no really like technique and you're not really thinking about uh doing it 8 times a week you're doing right. it that one Sunday but you might wear yourself out in the meantime and and having to do 8 shows uh definitely like the anointing and all these things kind of like take a hold of me in that way. And uh, but like, yeah, sports and music have always been my dad sings like not professionally, but he's an amazing singer. I've always heard him singing tunes in the car. And so I think he kind of just passed it on to me. And over time, I've been able to develop it. But I definitely didn't start out with the idea that I'd be playing Hamilton and Hamilton, the musical mm-hmm. that was never on the list. So I'm just thankful that uh, I'm alive to see it in that way.
0: Now, have they seen you play Hamilton? Oh, several times. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. They Mom must be proud.
1: every few months. Uh, yeah. My dad seen me several times. They both came to Puerto Rico. Um, some of my family has been to San Francisco. They just—they just, they don't understand theater much, so it's funny. My grandmother will come, and uh, she'll see the show, and she said, now, baby, I love the show, but you never looked at me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, Mama, this is not the Temptations. Or, like, you know, I'm. I mean, she used to see me saying, like, Jackson 5, these – these these roles that you're interacting really yeah, like yeah. firsthand with the you know but I'm like you're not even there we're telling a story you're just kind of like in on it yeah and so I love that about it that I get to open them up to these new uh mediums and like new worlds too because they you know we in Louisiana it's very traditional we kind of stick to what we know and so like right. them getting able to travel and learn more about life has been really really a fun aspect of like what
0: I'm able to do as a, well, as a passion. That was DeAndre Woods on The Richard Krause Show. If you're in the Toronto area, you can find him right now on stage in Hamilton at the Princess of Wales Theatre. Find out more information on the show and how to get tickets at Mervish.com. In this segment, we're going to meet April Mullen. The Niagara Falls-born filmmaker and actor's latest film is called Simulant. It's the story of Faye, played by Jordana Brewster of the Fast and Furious franchise. She's pulled the plug on her late husband, but she can't quite bring herself to do the same to Evan, his android counterpart, played by Robbie Amellon. You know him as Firestorm on the series The Flash. Instead of deactivating Evan, Faye sets him up in an apartment to live illegally on his own. While there, he meets Casey, played by Marvel superhero actor Simu Liu, a brilliant programmer who helps him become more human in order to win Faye back. All this happens under the watchful eye of an artificial intelligence compliance enforcement agent played by Avatar's Sam Worthington. That's a lot of info. Let's break it down with April Mullen, who joined me via Zoom.
2: At Nixera, we ensure all simulants obey the precepts. The first precept is to not inflict harm on any human being. Good morning. The second precept restricts simulants from modifying themselves or any other simulant in any way.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what Simulant is. Uh, It is kind of a sci-fi movie, although I don't know that I would call it a sci-fi movie. I think it's a movie that explores the nature of love and uh, moving forward as AI and whatever other little computer devices that slowly insinuate themselves into our lives uh take over this is just an extrapolation on that i think what what's your take
2: i agree it's sort of a thought piece you know it's like a think piece film it sort of leaves the audience questioning what our world could possibly look like in the next five years or three years to be honest, or I don't even know. We're a lot closer than we thought. I mean, I got the script six years ago and it felt far-fetched, but now it feels ever so much closer.
0: (laughs) It's odd with so much talk of artificial intelligence uh, just coming across our desks every day. So it used to be years ago, six years ago, maybe AI was just kind of this idea that uh, the Terminator was artificial intelligence. And we used to think, oh, scary robots are going to come to life. Now, uh, we have so much more access to it, that it is becoming, you know, part of our lives. So, um, tell me as a storyteller, Um, A a couple of things. Let's start with the recent WGA, the Writers Guild of America decision to allow AI to not take credit for, but be used in the process of coming up with stories. I hate this idea. As someone who writes movies as a storyteller, what's your take?
2: I mean, it is, it's kind of our worst nightmare. And um, the film, you know, actually terrified me as well for those same reasons you know can you replace a loved one with mm-hmm. a simulat is that possible and will they be indistinguishable that whole thing terrifies me i i am a super fan of human beings what makes us special <laughs> the flaws the imperfections the beauty the um Uh, I don't even know the sporadicness of our decisions that were unpredictable. I love all of those things about just human life um, and us being human beings and hopefully the uniqueness that we all hold. I am terrified of sort of even chat GPT, (laughs) like uh, AI wrote a bunch of taglines and sort of um, some of our social posts with our distributor, Mongol media. And they came back with 400 in 10 seconds flat and they were better than anything we had written. So it's, it was jaw droppingly terrifying at that moment.
0: Wow. Um, you just sent a shiver down every movie marketer's neck right there. Anyone who's I made a living. I were- hated it
2: Richard. I did. And I, and I, it was scary to me that they actually were really great tags and mm. felt organic. And, um, you know, a lot of people talk about the black box, sort of the in-between state of like, what happens? How does the AI know how to make a decision or be cheeky and be funny? Yeah. And all of those things that we can't even really understand. Programmers still don't understand what goes on in the in-between of the outcome of what it generates. And to me, the unknown or the black box is like, Again, sort of, at, you know, the, the theme of our film is you can think you can program them and control them with the precepts. But what is at the end of the day, they're still going to be somewhat of a black box thing where they're making decisions and they'll have free will at certain points. And what is the outcome? We have no idea
0: well there is a a new story recently uh, about uh an ai uh, like a complex one though not one of, not the one that we can just access online but a complex artificial uh artificially intelligent uh program that engaged in a conversation with one of its programmers and eventually said things to that programmer like I don't think your wife loves you as much as I love you, and I think that maybe she's not as good for you as I could be for you. And I thought of that as I was watching your movie. yeah.
2: Oh no, that is exactly sort of, at the end of the day, the film leaves you with a lot of questions because you're rooting for several different characters in Mm -hmm. the film.
0: You're listening to director April Mullen on The Richard Krause Show. Her new film, Simulant, is in theaters now.
2: And you think they might be the hero that you want to win and I think it flips itself on its head without giving away too much. You really, at the end of the day, um hopefully audience members will be left sort of speechless. Like, was I rooting for the wrong side? What is the right (laughs) side? Is it AI versus human or is it human? Like you have compassion for all of them in the film in different ways. And, um, hopefully that, you know, we sort of take a second to think on which side of the, the line we will stand and hopefully, you know, um, chat GPT doesn't take over all of our (laughs) script writing and our movie making. And, um, I mean, it really is unbelievable.
1: The ongoing debate around simulant sentience intensifies. Fortune! Female! Skeptics continue to voice concern over simulant's integration into society. You know she's a simulant? simulant? Are you sure?
2: The sim has been hacked. Somebody altered the restrictions.
0: So someone made it possible for it to hurt me. Did you notice anything unusual about his behavior?
2: He didn't know that he was a sim. He was having dreams about his accident.
0: How do you create uh, a simulant character, an android character, uh, that the audience is going to care about. It's all about casting, I guess, and the writing, but, uh, uh, tell me about approaching that.
2: I do love that. And we did want our character of Evan, who is a simulate, to feel v- very much alive and real and for their relationship to feel organic and for him to have very human thoughts and ideas and come to his wife with a reasonable, you know, propositions and and really genuinely love her. So uh, Robbie Amal and I really worked hard at being understated, being as human as possible. Um he has a he delivers an amazing performance with a lot of depth to sort of underneath his very simple kind of lines and he has one mission to win his wife back Mm -hmm. and he's he's torn the whole film because he wakes up realizing that the life that he thinks is his own is over so he has to question the fact that he died and and what 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 happens to you know someone who believes they're alive and then not only are they shown that they're artificial, they've also have to come to terms with their own death and being, you know, watching their human counterpart die in dreams. And what does that do to, I guess, an AI or a person? What does that do to someone? Um, and he he really brought to the table, I thought, a performance that was really beautiful. And um, everyone is rooting for him because he comes to Faye, his wife, with so much openness, love, and his his intentions are so pure because I think he's focused on one thing. How do I win her back? How do I get back the life I just lost? Um, so for us, it was easy to sort of create that character because his intentions were so pure. Unfortunately, you know, they go in different directions throughout the film and it, it becomes you know he will do anything at all costs to get back that life and that's where things get dangerous you are
1: not my
2: husband you're a mistake
1: you don't
2: mean that you're not him
1: then what am i you're better
2: i can't help but feel like part of my husband moved into him you know, like part of his soul's inside of him
0: you're listening to director April Mullen on The Richard Krause Show. Her new film, Simulant, is in theaters right now. What do you think it is about a story like this that appeals to us? Is it the pandemic when we all got way more introspective <laughs> we had to sit at home marinating in our own thoughts about things and just trying to figure out what our lives actually mean? Is, that, is Do you think that could be it?
2: I do. And thematically, I think human beings have always had a hard time with loss, you know, and, and memory, because both of those things happen to all Mm -hmm. of us. And they happen all around us. And they are not controllable so you have memories and moments in your life which you want to hold on to so dearly but memory unfortunately sort of like is like sand coming through your fingertips and you can't really grasp them and the, the more you think of the memory the further away it gets and mm. you can't really hold it and it's part of why I love making films is you can really capture those moments on film and replay them um, it's sort of this like obsession with how do we live forever and infinity and um, we don't we just don't. And uh, especially with loss, when you lose a loved one, how do you um, feel like you can be in their presence again? Or how can you feel close to that person again? And and I think death is a huge thing that, and grief is a huge thing that we as human beings don't really tackle you know, front on. I think, you know, within society, we sort of step away from it because it's so hard to talk about if, you know, you lose a soulmate or a loved one or someone passes away too young. It's just almost too much pain to deal with. And so I think we've all had such a hard time dealing with it that now we're thinking maybe if there's a way to bring back those loved ones or clone those loved ones, would it be right? Would it be Mm -hmm. the same? Is it a future that we want to live in or is it one that's will never be the same? Like people are still irreplaceable. I think that's a theme that's always sort of existed. And now we're just open to exploring it more.
0: Uh, Sam, you have an incredible cast here, Sam Worthington. uh, How did you get him? I thought that he had spent the last 13 years painted blue, making Avatar movies. So it doesn't seem to me to have had a lot of spare time.
2: (laughs) He didn't. I mean, his timeline was very tight. We only had him for 12 days and he's a lead in the film. You know, he Mm -hmm. plays an amazing role as Kessler. I think it's one of his best performances on film to date. I love his, uh, he had these very eccentric choices and he brought a lot of depth to the role and again a lot of compassion and humanity to the role of Kessler and we worked really well together and he's so dedicated to his craft he's so intelligent and comes so prepared he was a dream to work with but he did have a tight schedule like Jimmy Cameron he would call him needed him (laughs) right before he went to camera with us and then he said my darling April you two are my favorite directors you work so similarly and I was just blushing from ear to ear and then he had to vamos back to Jimmy Cameron uh, like the day we wrapped and kept Doing, you know, more Avatar awesomeness.
0: You're listening to April Mullen on The Richard Krause Show. Her film Simulant is in theaters right now. A lot of these actors that you have in are used to these giant movies. I (laughs) wonder if it was an adjustment uh, for them to work on something that was a, a, a bit smaller in scale.
2: Yeah, I think they were all very excited. And the script obviously drew them all into the world of Simulate and the fact that we were able to work together and work the scenes and go into depth with each of their characters and all of their characters had a lot of different motivations Mm -hmm. and they were all very excited by that. And, um, you know, you're not spending 24 hours in a blue suit or, um, you know, flying through, you know, wireworks like Cheng Chi. Yeah. Really or to
0: acting to the- a tennis ball, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly, or yeah. acting to a tennis ball. But I think they all really love the script and um, the sort of concept that it left the audience with. And they're all really jazzed up to play something much different. And, and the VFX in the film, I feel, are very organic. We didn't want hmm. them to be distracting to the story and to sort of what we were asking of the audience. We wanted them to feel organic and sort of almost quiet. You know, I didn't want them to be the loudest thing on screen because the film is not that, like you said, it's not about the special things we can achieve with VFX and the cool shots we can, you know, create in post. It was much more about the characters and what this inner turmoil between all of all of them and sort of their stories all coming together at a head at the end of the film.
0: You said you first got the script six years ago. How do you stay interested in something for that amount of time? You know, oh. you, I mean, you've made more films since then. You've been in and up, but that's a long time, you know, to, oh. to have this sitting around.
2: Richard, it is the story of our lives. I think independent cinema, you know, you pick something up that you absolutely love. This was before Black Mirror. This was before any of the AI ex machina, all of that. And I picked it up, fell in love with it. In the beginning, you know, I just thought it was so refreshing. And of course, we're trying to get it made in a very, you know, let's face it, there's large budgets, sequels, mm. and remakes, you know, and just to have original content be made is a huge undertaking to find all the puzzle pieces in terms of financing. First, it takes, a, a, you know, it yeah. feels like a decade almost to put together a, an independent feature film by the time you get it cast. And then there was a pandemic in the middle. And then we're finally getting the VFX done with VFX artists from all over the world. You know, it just takes an army to really, be able to deliver a quality independent feature film with stars like that nowadays and get it to cinemas it's not what it used to be for sure um, even when I started 10 years ago mm-hmm. it's you know or 15 years ago uh, we were able to get all of our films on the big screen no problem it's it it dramatically shifted over the last five six years with oh. independent films.
0: And as a filmmaker, that's where you want to see your movie. Streaming is great. You'll get lots of eyeballs on it, uh, potentially more than you would in a movie theater. But as a filmmaker, you want people to see the picture that you thought of. You want them to hear it the way that you envisioned it. And it's just, it's the purest expression of that movie
2: definitely and i think it you you feel it in your body more and you and you get to experience it in a community of people who are mm. also feeling the same things or different things and i think the energy in the room is also a big part of why i love cinema and going to the cinema there's something so much more romantic about the whole thing and the whole um experience feels fulfilling you know, much more fulfilling than seeing it on your phone or your iPad or a small device where you can't see the twinkle in people's eyes. You can't see that spark in the simulate's chest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, April, thank you so much. Congratulations on the film.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and it was really good to see you.
0: Nice to and, see you. Uh,
2: can't wait to see Simulate on the big screen. Please join us and yeah. spread the word because it's a strong, strong Canadian film that's out there for all of you to experience and then be left with a very thought provoking question of do you want to live in this AI future or will you run out to the woods with me?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was April Mullen on The Richard Krause Show. Find her movie Simulate playing at a theatre near you. Big thanks to April for stopping by to talk about her film. Also, a big thanks to DeAndre Woods for telling us all about what it's like to star in the hottest musical in the world, Hamilton. For more information, go to Mervish.com. Of course, my biggest thanks, as always, goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird.